Now I know all of you are here to celebrate a very important and special Sunday, <laughs> that being Transfiguration Sunday, right? I know, I know there's a whole other Sunday that we're all thinking about later on, one having to do with two teens who have red in their background, or red on their jerseys, but I know that's exciting, and also we have the joy of a very special Sunday as well in the church calendar year. Uh, you may not realize this, but the vestments are reversible, so the backside is red. But it's red and white, so I, I didn't pick that. They're not Chiefs colors, I'm just saying. But welcome, welcome to our service this morning. Uh, brief announcement, not only is it Transfiguration Sunday, but this Wednesday is St. Valentine's Day, and it also is Ash Wednesday. Uh, it's very early this year. I don't get to determine that calendar either. Um, it just has its rotation of how it moves. Uh, but this year, we have Ash Wednesday this Wednesday, which means, and the um, flyers have gone out so you know our schedule of what's available. If you would like to receive the ashes, I will be in the chapel, the small chapel, uh, in the morning from like 10.30 to 12. And it's not a formal service. You can come anytime in that hour and a half to receive the ashes. Later in the afternoon, I will be going to the memory care unit and the skilled nursing unit to make sure that any staff or residents who would like the ashes can receive them as well. Uh, so feel free to stop by then, or if you see me walking around, I'm likely going to be carrying them with me everywhere, so uh, I'm willing to give them to you anywhere you are, if that works for you. So lots of really cool things going on uh, with this week as we enter into a season of preparation. For those of us who have been a part of the church for a long time, we know that Lent is the season that prepares us uh, for Easter and Holy Week and lots of things that happen there that are also very important uh, days of celebration in our church calendar year. But today is Transfiguration Sunday, so I'm going to say more about that uh, later on, and our scripture texts will also uh, reference some of this today. Our first hymn that we'll be singing a cappella this morning is All Hail the Power of Jesus' Name. If you're unfamiliar with the tune, just uh, listen in as we sing the first verse. I will set the tone for you, and feel free to join in with us as we go. <clears throat> All hail the power of Jesus' name, let angels prostrate fall, bring forth the Yeah. 
Two weeks ago when I uh, read, uh, read from the book of Deuteronomy and I mentioned that it would, could be called the book of Moses because it's the story of Moses as written down by scribes and priests after his life. And uh, those words from Deuteronomy uh, influenced the writing of Jeremiah and Judges and Samuel and Kings. Today we read from Kings. Kings is the story of the kings. But today we're specifically interested in two men. And with a cold that I have, you can maybe hear my voice cracking, I will have difficulty pronouncing the two, Elisha and Elijah. And uh, they kind of go together, don't they? And uh, so I'll try to be very careful with two kings, second kings, two, verses one to 12. Now when the Lord was about to take Elisha up to heaven by a whirlwind, Elisha and Elijah were on their way from Gilgal. Elisha said to Elisha, Stay here, for the Lord has sent me as far as Bethel. But Elisha said, As the Lord lives and as you yourself live, I will not leave you. So they went down to Bethel. The company of prophets who were in Bethel came out to Elisha and said to him, Do you know that today the Lord will take your master away from you? And he said, Yes, I know. Keep silent. Elisha said to Elijah, 
Stay here, for the Lord has sent me to Jericho. But he said, As the Lord lives, and as you yourself live, I will not leave you. So they came to Jericho. The company of prophets who were in Jericho drew near, drew near to Elisha and said to him, Do you know that today the Lord will take your master away from you? And he answered, Yes, I know. Be silent. Then Elisha said to him, Stay here, for the Lord has sent me to the Jordan. But he said, As the Lord lives, and as you yourself live, I will not leave you. So the two of them went on. Fifty men of the company of prophets also went and stood at some distance from them, as they both were standing by the Jordan. Then Elisha took his mantle and rolled it up and struck the water. The water was parted to the one side and to the other until the two of them crossed on dry ground. When they had crossed, Elisha said to Elisha, Tell me what I may do for you before I am taken from you. Elisha said, Please, let me inherit a double share of your spirit. He responded, You have asked a hard thing, yet if you see me as I am being taken from you, it will be granted to you. If not, it will not. As they continued walking and talking, a chariot of fire and horses of fire separated the two of them, and Elisha ascended in a whirlwind into heaven. Elijah kept watching and crying out, Father, Father, the chariots of Israel and its horsemen. But when he could no longer see him, he grasped his own clothes and tore them in two pieces. The word of our Lord. Those two names are hard to pronounce even without a cold bill. <laughs> Elijah and Elisha. Distinguishing the two is very important, but that is a tough, tough job. Well done. Thank you. Our lectionary psalm for today comes from Psalm 50, verses 1 through 6, and we'll be reading it responsibly. The Mighty One, God the Lord, speaks and summons the earth from the rising of the sun to its setting. God the perfection of the beauty. Our God comes and does not keep silence. Before him is a devouring fire and a mighty tempest all around him. He calls to the heavens above and to the earth that he may test his people. Gather to me, my faithful ones, who made a covenant with me by sacrifice. When the heavens declare his righteousness, for God himself is just. And now for our next hymn, Joyful, Joyful, We Adore Thee. <coughs> joyful, joyful, we adore Thee, God of glory, Lord of love. Hearts unfold like flowers before Thee, open to the sun above, melt the clouds of sin and sadness, drive the dark of doubt away, giver of immortal gladness, 
2 Corinthians chapter 4, verses 3 to 6. And even if our gospel is veiled, it is veiled to those who are perishing. In their case, the God of this world has blinded the minds of the unbelievers to keep them from seeing the light of the gospel of the glory of Christ, who is the image of God. For we do not proclaim ourselves, we proclaim Jesus Christ as Lord and ourselves as your slaves for Jesus' sake. And for it is the God who, is, who said, let light shine out of the darkness, who has shown in our hearts to give the light of the knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ, the word of our Lord. The Holy Gospel according to Mark, the ninth chapter. Glory to you, O Lord. Six days later, Jesus took with him Peter and James and John and led them up a high mountain apart by themselves. And he was transfigured before them, and his clothes became dazzling white, such as no one on earth could bleach them. And there appeared to them Elijah and Moses, who were talking with Jesus. Then Peter said to Jesus, Rabbi, it is good for us to be here. Let us make three dwellings, one for you, one for Moses, and one for Elijah. He did not know what to say, they were terrified. <coughs> then a cloud overshadowed them, and from the cloud there came a voice, This is my Son, the Beloved. Listen to him. 
Suddenly, when they looked around, they saw no one with them anymore, but only Jesus. As they were coming down the mountain, he ordered them to tell no one about what they had seen until after the Son of Man had risen from the dead. The Gospel of our Lord. Praise to you, O Christ. <laughs> Growing up in northern Minnesota, where the lakes and forests meet the northern plains, I didn't see mountains. About 20 or so miles to the east was the city of Grand Forks, North Dakota, and about the same distance to the west was the beginning of the lakes and a lake nearest to us called Maple Lake. The topography was something like that of a flat table. There was a joke I remember hearing as a kid that went like this. The land is so flat you can see your dog running away from you for three days. <laughs> it really is flat. When I've gone back to visit, I feel it. The flat soil of farmland reaching out in every direction. But when I moved to Seattle for college in 2002, and began my time at university, I found myself hemmed in on two sides by the Cascade Mountain Range to the east and the Olympic Mountain Range to the west. And these two ranges, which are snow-capped year-round, frame the eastern and western sides of the Emerald City. I was in awe. I lived in the Pacific Northwest for my four years of college and again for another eight years in ministry at a church and I never got tired of looking at those beautiful mountains. It was an awe-inspiring experience. Our Gospel lectionary text for today, which I just read for you, takes place on a mountain. Today is Transfiguration Sunday, hence the white vestments. And while the mountains of this region in the story don't rise to the same heights as the Cascades or the Olympics or the Sierra Nevadas, the story we read in Mark 9 is no less inspiring. The story begins with Jesus taking his circle of inner three disciples up a mountain with him, and that includes Peter, James, and John. There are a number of passages in the Gospels which show Jesus on mountains spending time alone in prayer. Jesus utilized these rarefied spaces for solitude, for time alone with God the Father and God the Spirit. Likely he had a wonderful view of valleys below and the terrain all around, but there's also a beautiful experience in those spaces of fresh air and warm sunshine and quiet, peaceful surroundings. On this occasion, he takes a trio from his group of twelve with him, as they near their destination at the top of the mountain, something startling happens. In dramatic and apparently sudden fashion, Jesus' clothes are illuminated such that they become a dazzling white. In Mark's telling of the story, he said, such that no one on earth could bleach them. No one could bleach them to make them this white. That must be very bright. The same story appears in Matthew 17 and Luke chapter 9. Matthew describes Jesus' face shining like the sun. Luke says Jesus' appearance changed 
But all three writers emphasize this luminescence of Jesus' clothing. That's where we get the origin of the title, Transfiguration. Now, I've read this story many times, and I've heard that word many times, but I never thought until this week to look up the definition of the word transfiguration. So out of curiosity, I did. And the definition says, a complete change of form or appearance into a more beautiful or spiritual state. In addition to the momentous visible change that takes place in Jesus' appearance, we also see him greet very important figures from the Old Testament, Elijah and Moses. Moses helped liberate the people from slavery in Egypt and to this day is considered the most important leader in Jewish history. Elijah fulfilled the role of prophet and messenger at a time when there was tremendous suffering and deficient and even evil leadership. I wonder what they were talking about. What were they talking about? <laughs> Why did these two show up and not King David or Abraham or Queen Esther or Ruth and Naomi, right? So many unanswered questions. One day I'll get to ask those questions. Regardless of why they're there, we know they are important to the history of God's people. We know that the three other guys are standing there with their jaws on the floor. Peter, James, and John are witnessing something profoundly special in this encounter on the mountaintop. And as you might expect, Mark pointed it out to us, they're terrified. Mark says so in verse 6. Luke says so in verse 34. And Matthew says they're so overcome with fear they fall face down on the ground. In addition to the wondrous spectacle of Jesus' wardrobe and the ancient guests with amazing reputations, the three of these disciples hear a voice from heaven say these words, This is my Son, the Beloved. Listen to him. This is the second time in Jesus' life where he hears those words in this way. The first was at his baptism. Jesus rose from the waters of the Jordan River. The Holy Spirit descended on him in the form of a dove, and the Father spoke from heaven, declaring Jesus his beloved Son. And just like that, a nanosecond passes and all the fireworks and the A-list celebrities and the awe-inspiring wonders disappear in the blink of an eye. Peter, James, and John find themselves standing with Jesus just as they had when they first arrived at the top of the mountain. Now one of the questions a lot of people raise regarding this story is, why? Why reveal all this? What's the purpose of such a profound display of divine power? This question is also followed by confusion as people read the last portion of the story, where Jesus tells his inner circle to hold on to this story. Don't tell anyone. Why are you doing the fireworks if no one's supposed to know about it? It just doesn't make sense. Now, that was me interposing my voice in the place of Peter, James, and John, but I feel something like what they must feel because it had to feel strange to see such a wonderful display of power and then be told, don't tell anyone. That's a mystery to me. There must be a reason why. 
Again, I get to add that to the list of questions I'll ask Jesus one day. There's something both beautiful and simple, as well as both true and mysterious in our story. One thing that we know to be true, and this has been a part of Christian belief for centuries, is this belief that Jesus has two natures. He is fully human and fully divine at the same time. It's one of the great paradoxes of our faith. Theologians refer to it as the two natures of Christ. But ultimately, the beauty of this truth is the fact that it defies concrete explanation. Spiritual mothers and fathers in our faith tradition for the past 2,000 years have seen this paradox not so much as a theological belief to analyze, but more of a spiritual reality to experience. Let me say that one more time. For 2,000 years, spiritual mothers and fathers in our faith tradition have looked at this theological truth as not something to analyze as much as to experience. Much like when Peter tries to frame this experience, he's trying to figure it out, he's trying to understand what he's seeing because he's spellbound, and he doesn't know what to do, and he's terrified, so he makes a suggestion. Hey, Jesus, how about I build you some booths, or tents, or dwelling places? <laughs> he can't understand what he's seeing. He's trying to frame it. He's trying to contain it. But there's really not a need to explain or understand. What if instead, by picking apart the story for its theology and doctrine, we miss the most important thing? The opportunity that we have to experience something of God in the story. There's an ancient spiritual practice which come to, comes to us by way of Saint Ignatius of Loyola, the founder of the Jesuit order. And this practice involves taking a story from the Bible, like this one, and putting ourselves in the shoes of one of the characters. Basically, what Ignatius uh, wrote about was an imagination exercise where you participate in the story by imagining yourself in it. And when you're in the story, you look around, you listen, you pay attention, you notice what God wants to say to you through the story. I thought that this story would be a wonderful story for us to practice this very thing together today. So I want to invite you for the next few moments to join me in trying this exercise out together. So first of all, I need you to sit up in your chair, blink a few times if you've been falling asleep. I know my voice has a tendency to do that. Put your hands on your lap, close your eyes, take a big deep breath, and what I'm going to do is I'm going to narrate this story and I want you to lean into it, listen, and imagine what I describe. Imagine you are the disciple John, standing right next to Peter, and you're looking just up ahead a few dozen yards. There's Jesus standing there, facing you. You're looking at him, up and down, from head to toe. You see Jesus wearing his usual clothing, nothing fancy. They're playing 
simple clothes. He's wearing his traditional sandals. His hands are at his side. His face is calm and inviting, but he's making direct eye contact with you. Now imagine that you blink, and when your eyes open, all of a sudden your field of vision is filled with blazing white light. Jesus stands there, still you can see just the faint outline of his body, except now he is glowing from head to toe. Clothes whiter than anyone could bleach them, face gleaming like the sun. How do you feel? For a moment, you're distracted because just to your left, Peter says something. But just as he finishes talking, a cloud covers everything. You're surrounded by a thick fog. And from inside that cloud, you hear a voice that says, This is my beloved son. Listen to him. How do you feel? You blink again, and now it's all gone. The clouds have drifted away. Moses and Elijah have disappeared. Jesus is standing just a few feet in front of you, but now his clothes and his complexion have returned to their normal, calm, plain color. You can open your eyes now, if you had them closed. It's one thing to study the text of the Bible and wrestle with stories and wrestle with laws and proverbs and songs. It's one thing to analyze the text of Scripture. And it is another thing entirely to place yourself in the story. To imagine all of the amazing facets of what is happening in any given text in the Bible. It's a wonderful gift God has given us in the human imagination. We can experience much of what these characters did by simply putting ourselves in their shoes, trying to imagine what they saw and what they heard, what they smelled or tasted or touched, what they felt, and that's really the key component for me as I read this story is what must it have been like for Peter, James, and John to walk up that mountain? I imagine they were tired by the time they got to the top. And all of a sudden, in a moment, in the blink of an eye, everything changes. Jesus' clothes are glowing like the sun. His face like the sun, bright and shining. The awe of that moment must have been overwhelming. It makes sense when Mark says they were terrified because people's clothes don't usually glow, right? If this practice that we just went through is new to you, I invite you to keep doing it. Take some time to pick a story or maybe even sit in silence and wait for God to draw you to a text of the Bible. Once you feel like you know where you're supposed to open the Bible and read, 
read the story out loud, and practice imagining yourself in the shoes of one of the characters. And you can pick different characters every time you read it. And you can even put yourself in the story as if you're just standing there as you, next to the three disciples, or next to whoever in whatever story you're imagining. The beauty of this practice is that it is an experience of a story rather than an analysis of a story. And you know me, I love to analyze and think. I love theology and philosophy and reading and studying. And there's a balance that has to be struck in the human person that we don't just think and analyze, we also experience, feel, and encounter. So maybe this week, spend more time in this story, imagining this story. Put yourself in Peter's shoes. Put yourself in the story as, as yourself, looking at their faces. How are Peter, James, and John reacting, responding, feeling? What was it like for them to hear that voice booming through the cloud? There's something special, truly special, that happens in this spiritual exercise. At the heart of it, is the blessing of encounter. God invites us to encounter him all the time. God invites us to encounter him in conversations, books, poetry, paintings, music, flowers, laughter, tears, goodbyes, hellos, grief, happiness, celebration, parties, football games, food, waking, sleeping, mountaintops, valleys. God is everywhere everywhere. So the invitation for us when we get into the text of scripture like this is to experience God through the beautiful story God has written and then take that understanding of life out into the world to see and experience God everywhere else. When you sense the Lord inviting you to an encounter, go with it. Pay attention, listen, open up yourself. These three disciples left that mountain changed forever by an encounter with the beauty and the awe and the wonder of Jesus transfigured before their eyes. They were not changed by good theology or orthodox doctrine. They were not changed by analyzing what they were seeing. They were changed by a first-hand experience of divine beauty, overwhelming divine beauty. And you can be too. Amen? Amen. Amen. As we continue our service this morning, we're going to sing our next hymn, Majesty, Worship His Majesty. Again, if you're not familiar with the tune, feel free to listen along as we sing our first verse, and then you can join in as we go. <clears throat> Majesty, Worship His majesty unto Jesus be our glory, honor, and praise. Majesty, kingdom authority, flow from His throne unto His own, His and the Lift up on high the name of Jesus. 
As we come to our time of the prayers of the congregation, I like to remind us each week of what we're doing and why we spend time in prayer, in worship. Many of us uh, have things that we carry, burdens that weigh heavy on our hearts and minds. And so when we gather in worship, we don't leave those outside the door. We come as we are, because those things are part of our life experience. So for some of us this morning, maybe you are carrying a heavy burden. You're going through a challenging time in your life, and you'd like us to pray for that, for whatever it is you're experiencing. For others of us, this morning we're carrying a burden on behalf of someone else. Maybe you have a friend, a family member, a neighbor, someone you care about, who you know is going through a challenging time, and you want us to pray for them. In addition to these, we also just know the reality of our world, big global issues that face whole countries, whole continents, and our, our planet as a whole. And so we lift up those needs to God as well. So whatever those may be, if you have something that you would like us to pray for today, I invite you to indicate that at this time by raising your hand. Let us pray. Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, we thank you for your grace and your love, your power, your faithfulness, and your goodness. We thank you for a story that we just read and walked through and imagined that reveals your beauty, the dynamic power that you wield to be transfigured before these three simple and humble disciples, displaying your power, displaying your true identity and all your glory. We pray, Lord, for all those needs represented by the hands that have been raised. For those of us here this morning, who are going through our own challenges and struggles, pain and grief, whatever it may be, we lift those up to you and we lay them before your feet. For those of us here today, Lord, who are concerned for loved ones, our friends, our family members, our neighbors, we are carrying burdens with them because we know they're going through a tough time. We lift those prayer requests up to you. We lay them before you. And Lord, all of us are mindful of the needs of our world. Wars and conflict, political struggle and strife, major issues that face whole countries, whole continents, and issues that face all of humanity around the planet. We lift those up to you as well. We pray for peace. We pray for restoration and justice. We pray, Lord, that people would have their basic needs met. And for all the layers of our prayer down to the needs that, meet, that we need, Lord, that are in our own hearts, our own experience, we lift these up to you and pray that you would meet us in our place of need. Thank you, Lord, for hearing our prayers. Thank you for the promise of knowing that every time we pray, you hear our prayers. We can entrust them to your care. We lift these up to you and we pray these all in the name of Jesus Christ. Amen. And together we pray the prayer Jesus taught us to pray. Our Father, which art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done, on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our trespasses, as we forgive those who trespass against us. Lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom, the power, and the glory, 
forever and ever. Amen. And now for our final hymn, Be Thou My Vision. <clears throat> Be Thou My Vision, O Lord of my heart, not be Thank <laughs> you. 
came to retrieve what is my own. All right. Sounds good. <laughs> <laughs>